Get Lit. Welcome to Get Lit, the literary podcast where we take a look at famous works of literature and the authors that wrote them. I'm your host, Steph Svars, and I'm here with a very special guest host, Katie Saul, who is back again <laughs> um, because I made a grave error. Um, I failed to consult John. He's on vacation in France. Like, snobbish. Rude. Yes, me. Um, personally. Uh, and <laughs> I didn't realize he wasn't going to be back in time to record the next episode. So I emergency texted Katie Saul, and she, like, an angel goddess from above <laughs> stepped in and saved the day. So thank you, Katie, for joining us. You're welcome. And by us, I mean me. Right. <laughs> because John isn't here. Exactly. Thank you, John, for. Not inviting us. Being in France and gallivanting around uh, the French countryside. I think he's in, mm, he's probably in southern France at this point. They were in Paris, they went to Burgundy, and then they were going down to parts of southern France. I know, right? What? Who just has the time for that? Um, Engineers. (laughs) (laughs) People who don't teach. It was Uh, homecoming last week. I can't just go to France. I can't just leave. There's a big right. dance. There's a football game. My, none of my students contest. are listening to my lessons. <laughs> We're struggling through them. <laughs> I can't just leave and I'm going to go to Europe right now. <laughs> Although it would be a lot of fun, wouldn't it? So much fun. <laughs> we'll save that for winter break. Yes. Um, where we can go. Uh, so this week we are going to be covering um, the incredible... Uh, incomparable Toni Morrison Um, and again kind of like the Mary Oliver episode I'm a little anxious about doing this just because they've passed so recently Um, and wanting to do these episodes from a place of of respect and and tribute um, as anything Uh, and especially Toni Morrison who died uh, just in August. So I'm hoping that this episode, for those of you who are big fans of Toni Morrison, can provide that that honor and that tribute that she deserves. Um, and then for those of you who aren't very familiar with the work, maybe inspire you to go look at her legacy um, past this. So I'm excited to do that. Um, before we get it started, a couple quick reminders and new fun things. Um, Get Lit Live is November 3rd. We're really excited about that. Uh, We dropped a hint about the mystery behind this episode. Um, We hope you don't get Sherlocked up in thinking about what it is. (laughs) Was that good? It was so good that I can't believe how good it was. It was a clue. Yeah, see, it just keeps getting better. It was a, it was a clue. I see what you, you're doing yeah. there, too. Um, so if you are interested, we've had a lot of positive response, which is fantastic. And we're hoping to open this one up um, to an even larger audience and um, really get like a good crowd together for this. So please let me know. Um, details about our space will be forthcoming, but it's from 4 to 6 p.m. on November 3rd, which is a Sunday. So if you're in the Chicagoland area and are or not, yeah, come. You, you know come what? To it. Take a trip. You might not be <laughs> able to go to Europe, but you can come to Get Lit Live. Um, tickets are free, so you can just pay for your plane ticket, and we'll see you there. Uh, so let me know if you're interested in that, and we'll make sure that you have the information you need to uh, to come. Um, additionally, we're also going back on another mini tour. John and I are going to the exotic land of Iowa. <laughs> Um, We will be driving, and we're going to go to uh, Iowa City 
during the second week of November, which I think will be really amazing. Um, and the folks that have reached out to me, I can't even begin to tell you how excited we are. Um, people from uh, the various bookstores. And um, if you don't know, UNESCO made a series of literary cities around the world. There's only two designated sites in the United States that are literary cities, and one of them is Iowa City. So I'm so excited because the folks who are part of the UNESCO City of Literature organization uh, reached out to us and we'll actually be able to meet some of them and go for a tour and really get to see the depth of their city. The so, depth of Iowa City. Yes, so we're very excited yeah. about that. Um, so again, if you have recommendations of restaurants or things we should go to uh, while we're over there, we've got a, a good good amount of time uh, in between our various tours and other things that we're planning to do. So please reach out and let us know what we should check out in Iowa City. Um, and I think the last thing, we have an exciting end to our episode this week. Um, I'm very excited to uh, introduce this week our outro music, which was written, played, and sung by my dad. <laughs> um, so it's it's really, it's wonderful. It's jazzy. It's fantastic. And so, um, Dad, if you're listening to this episode this week, if Mom has shown you how to do that on your phone yet, um, or if you're still using the website, that's great. But thank you so much for writing this. Uh, we love it, and we can't wait to hear um, how audiences respond to it too. So thank you for writing it. Katie got a preview. Today. Yes. I listened to it before we started recording today. I am 100% floored by how adorable it is. Just that the fact of, yeah, my dad made this for me without being asked Yeah, for my passion project just upon happenstance mm -hmm. is adorable. So it's pretty it's it's pretty much a it's a it's a jam yep it slaps yep any number of things what mm -hmm. else it's a bop it's a bop <laughs> it really is like a jingle it is know? it's very like a sort of it's vintage yeah. i mean yes. call it vintage yes. in flair um so that is actually how we'll be ending our episode today we will obviously of course end it with being lit but we will um supplement the litness with right. this lit track <laughs> um, so thank you so much dad um any anything you want to add before we get started um this hot chocolate is great awesome <laughs> it is cold and i made us some hot chocolate that's all i got <laughs> that's all you have <laughs> listeners if you would like hot chocolate i don't know starbucks i don't know duncan yeah um, overpriced hot chocolate some? at starbucks for sure right Oh, and I, oh, here's the poll. Here's an important piece of information that we need to know. Uh, do you make your hot chocolate with um, a milk or milk product or like milk substitute product or water? Yeah, anybody that's not excited about life uses water. I agree with that. Water <laughs> is sad. I In love, water is my favorite drink, mm -hmm. uh, it, but... Hot chocolate should always be yes. made with something. It should be decadent. It should be rich. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like exciting about watery hot chocolate. Yeah. No, it sounds like I'm going to puke just saying it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It sounds like what six-year-olds would make. <laughs> you know, like the, the only wherewithal they have in the kitchen is like how to microwave water. And then they just pour the packet in and they... No. Yeah. Um, this hot chocolate has it's a spice mix with actual milk chocolate chips yep. that were melted. So, 
elevate elevate yourself mm-hmm. um just like toni morrison elevated literature mm-hmm. what a segue uh shall we begin yes let's so toni morrison as we know her was actually not born toni morrison um she was born chloe anthony wofford um on february yeah well, I'm just already surprised. Yep. Chloe Anthony? L- yep. Really? Yes. Wow. I'm not... So this might... We'll get to that. We'll okay. get to her name. But she was born Chloe wow. um, Wofford on February 18th, 1931, which makes her an Aquarius. Love it. Um, if you're paying attention, dear listeners, to how close that is to my friend Michael's birthday, <laughs> um, they are both Aquariuses, so they're very close. Um, and she was born in Lorraine, Ohio, which puts her in our Midwestern writer category. So we're continuing to grow that. Mm-hmm. I'm trying, I need to make a list. I need to sit down and make a list of all the authors that we covered that are from the Midwest. But like, um, Kurt Vonnegut, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Um, Susan Glassbell, um, like tons of mm-hmm. the people that we've announced have all been from the Midwest. So like as much as there is to say about the culture of New York, I think the Midwest is a little underrated. Um, but there's a lot of really extraordinary people, authors born in the very Middle West, the Third Coast, Chicagoland <laughs> area, Midwestern right. region, as it were. Um so she is the second oldest of four children. Her father, George, works primarily as a welder, but he has a bunch of different jobs at once to kind of support the family. Four kids, wife, the whole thing. Um, her mom, whose name is Ramah, which is a city in ancient Israel, which is how I knew it. So when I was mm-hmm. reading up about this, I was like, Ramah, like, I wonder, like, Ramah, like the biblical mm-hmm. city in ancient Israel. Um, and she is a domestic worker, right? It's 1930. Um, we have any number of restrictions and limitations on the positions that African Americans are able to have. Um, and Toni Morrison is also a descendant of sharecroppers. So um, that comes with her legacy as well. Uh, Morrison will credit her parents in later interviews and things like that with instilling the love that she had for reading and music and um folklore along with the perspectives that she had about her role in the world um so they raised her on ghost stories and folk tales which is awesome um i was reading this uh information a bunch of different interviews and that sort of stuff online um and she said in an interview that they frequently used visions and signs to predict the future so her family was very it sounds like superstitious interested in ghosts um, perfect for Halloween season. Yeah, totally. You know? uh, but that was part of her upbringing. Um, her family, though, uh, so this obviously will later appear in her work, right? Yes. If we're thinking about already, Beloved, right. If we're, right, we're thinking about all these things. So they clearly have, have a huge impact on her work. Um, another side of her upbringing that had a big impact on her work was her parents' views towards race. Um, her father had a deep, deep hate of white people. Um, he saw a lynching at 15 years old, uh, which was an event that impacted him for the rest of his life, so much so that his daughter would continue to talk about it and reflect on that in her interviews. Um, but her mother was exactly the opposite and didn't think about race or color or religion to be 
an inhibitor for her to like get to know accept that person um so i thought that that was very interesting that she was living with this very polarized i would imagine kind of tense conversation around a very serious issue for her and her family um so that's kind of another factor that i think would later influence her work as well when she is 12 years old uh, she converts to Catholicism. I do not know if her entire family did that or if she did, but either way, she's baptized under the name Anthony after St. Anthony of Padua. Um, hence her going by the nickname Tony mm-hmm. later on in life. So I thought that was kind of interesting um, that she, I'm not, again, and Correct me, anyone who knows more about this than me, which is probably everyone. Um, when you you don't really get to pip, pick a baptismal name, you pick a confirmation name, right? Yeah, and like, I'm <laughs> I'm I'm Catholic. I am, but <laughs> um, and <laughs> I, I kind of just stopped doing it by the point mm-hmm. when I were to get confirmed. So you didn't it's... get to pick a saint. No, we just sort of kind of gave up. Like, okay. Nah, we can do communion. Do you yeah, have a saint? We're... Like, would you pick... Like, I have three favorite saints-ish, approximately. I mean, no. <laughs> I don't really. Okay. <laughs> I, I didn't get to choose, you know, the religion. Do you have thing. a baptismal name? Is it Catherine? Yeah. I think it's my full name. Right. But again, I go by nicknames. So maybe that's the point. Because my brother also has a full name and then goes by a nickname. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, I don't know. I don't know if it's an official thing, but that's interesting that she went Mm -hmm. through that process because it led us to her now knowing her by the name of, right? you know. And the other thing that I think is interesting is that she chose to go by the nickname Tony even though, like, traditionally speaking, Anthony is a boy's name, and I know it doesn't really mm-hmm. matter, like, you just, you pick a saint or whatever. Right. But, like, to then use that name as her own name and then her nickname, that would literally kind of mm-hmm. take her through the rest of her career is kind of kind of right. cool. Um, so Morrison grows up in uh, an integrated neighborhood in Ohio, so she didn't really know much about racial tension until she was a teenager. Um, she does an interview with the New York Times and she tells the reporter, uh, quote, when I was in first grade, nobody thought I was inferior. I was the only black in the class and the only child who could read, end quote. Um, So clearly she had these amazing skills and that sort of thing, but her class was integrated um, in many parts of the country. That was not the case. So uh, she starts to really like and appreciate school from a young age. Um, she grow, goes to Lorraine High School um, and graduates with honors in 1949. And she takes Latin. She reads a lot of like classical European works of literature. Um, she's on the debate team and she works on the yearbook staff at her school. Um, and it was during this time that she develops her love of Jane Austen and Leo Tolstoy. Um, so it's actually quite appropriate that we did Jane Austen last week because now we're talking about Toni Morrison. I know nothing about Leo Tolstoy. Same. Anna Karenina. That's <laughs> <laughs> I'm so lost. That's I think he wrote that. 
uh, again, right? I know okay. nothing. I'm pretty about sure Tolstoy. he wrote that. We'll, we'll, I trust you more we'll than Google. I trust anything in this <laughs> moment. <laughs> then yes, confirmed. Um, literally at this moment, um, Leo Tolstoy wrote Anna Karenina. We'll look it up. Okay. Yep. So um, she graduates with honors, 1949, and then she attends Howard University, which is a historically black college and university in that um, cluster of higher ed institutions. And she majors in English there and minors in classics. So again, kind of continuing the work she started in high school, is very passionate about it and majors in that in college. Um, so she was an English major, just like us. Cute. So we're like... Basically the only thing we'll ever have in common. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and she also... Well, actually, I have another thing in common with her. Um, she participates in Howard University Players, which is a theater company. So yep, I'll no, take that not one. Me. Um, and she um, really becomes aware of racial tension. This is in the 1950s um, because they actually take some of the plays that they produce on tour throughout the segregated South. And this really opens her eyes to um, poverty, to inequality, to racial segregation and hatred. Um, so again, another uh, influence that she will later reflect on through her writing. Um, she graduates from Howard in 1953 and then immediately begins grad school at Cornell. Um, this I thought was very interesting. I didn't know a ton about Toni Morrison, have obviously have read her books and that sort of thing and read reflections of her and, and remembrances of her when she died. But what I didn't realize what, was what a complete and really thorough education she had, um, which for one, a woman at the time in the 1950s, to go on to not only have a college degree, but to go to grad school. And to compound that, she's an African-American female. Mm-hmm. So she really extraordinary, I think, in, in the pursuit of her education. Um, fun fact, she writes her thesis on the works of Virginia Woolf and William Faulkner. Wow. Right? Yeah. Wouldn't that be interesting? I don't know if those are like... Virginia Woolf and Faulkner in conversation, right. or if they're like, I wrote one on Faulkner and one on Woolf. Mm. I'm not sure. Um, but she completes her master's in 1955, and she moves to Texas because she gets a teaching job at Texas Southern University. Um, but then just two years later, she actually goes to Howard and becomes a professor there. So she returns to her alma mater and gets to teach. Uh, would you teach at ISU if you got totally. like a teaching job? Yes. What class, like, if you were going to teach a class, like, what class would you teach? Um, I feel like I would want to teach educators as well, mm, like, one of those introductory okay. courses to education, mm-hmm. just because I feel like it's so vital to make sure the people that want to be teachers really, really want to be teachers, and it'd be mm-hmm. cool to see students at that age where they're figuring it out. Yeah. But mostly because I also feel like I don't have enough experience in teaching yet to be Mm -hmm. like an expert you know I'd have to work with the newbies and kind of give them the inspiration or motivation to stick with it and to pursue it yeah Mm -hmm. so like part coach part educator part English yes that would be I'd take your class Mm -hmm. I'd sign up oh thank you can you not have class on Fridays yeah (laughs) can you can you be a Tuesday Thursday class Tuesday Thursday (laughs) 3 50 p.m. That's too late. I was like an early, I was an early class person. What? No. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I'm not doing that. 
3.50? That's so late. Yeah, but you have time to eat breakfast, go to the gym, do stuff outside, <laughs> then you go to class. At 3.50? Yeah. What? I what love time those getting classes? up? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll discuss okay. this later. I'll start, we'll discuss it later. We'll send the course catalog. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think... I would love to. I would love to be a college professor. I think that would be so much fun. I L L I N I. Yeah, have fun. Thanks. <laughs> there's a rivalry. There is a. No, there's not. I feel like there is. Mm. The two Illinois like state big you know, state yeah. schools. Maybe. <laughs> we did beat Wisconsin this weekend, though. Right. We did yeah. not deserve Every it. Every <laughs> person that went to Illinois oh yeah. posted it. I promise you. Anyway, um, I think I would probably wind up teaching something that had to do with American literature. It would probably have a real niche focus, like culinary American literature or something like that. Or honestly, yep. like maybe this podcast... Like, every week we'd focus on a different author and we'd talk about literary history mm-hmm. in context of the works that we're reading. So maybe it would be, like, part history class um, and part English class and kind of looking at how those lenses have this perpetual dialogue. That would be cool. Mm-hmm. I'd teach that. We will have class at 9 a.m. That's, like, a great time for me. Because it's not an 8 a.m., right. which sucks. Yes. But it's not... A three fifty right. class. Okay, back to Toni Morrison and her illustrious teaching career. So she's at Howard University, um, and she meets uh, Harold Morrison, and that he's an architect. He's originally from Jamaica, and they wind up falling in love, and they get married in 1958. Um, they they're married. They have their first child, who they also named Harold, in 1961. Um, and it's right after this time, actually, that Morrison joins a writer's group on Howard's campus. And she begins working on the, her first novel. It starts out as a short story. Um, but it's through this writer's group that she really finds the inspiration to get her work together, which I think is really amazing. Um, so Morrison stops her position at Howard and leaves in 1963. And then she spends that summer after leaving that position traveling with with her husband and her son. And then um, at the end of the summer, she returns to the United States, but um, Harold will go back to Jamaica. Um, yes, so they, uh, they will eventually separate in 1964. Um, but during this time when her husband moves back to Jamaica, um, Morrison is pregnant with their second child. And so she is in the States. She winds up going back to Ohio, which is where her family is. Um, and her son Slade is born in 1964. And that's also the year that she and Harold um, get divorced. So um, she has two sons now that she needs to support. So what does she do? In 1965, she moves to Syracuse, New York, um, and works for the um, textbook branch of Random House Publishing. She's an editor. Um, which I feel like I would not be very good at. Yeah. How do you edit a textbook? Right. I feel like, too, how do you just find that job opening and then get it right when you move to... Because you're Tony Morrison. Right. I mean, that's like... That's not even just like you're editing a textbook, but like the textbook. 
Yes. You know? Random yeah. houses yeah. texting. And then it's right at this time, kind of after she's settled, she's been working at Random House for a while, um, she publishes in 1970 The Bluest Eye, her first novel. Um, and she is 39 years old, which I think is really cool because, mm. um, again, you know, we think so many, you know, talents today get started when they're like teenagers, you know, like think about how many musicians or famous people that you know got famous when they were teenagers or in their 20s. Um, and Morrison, I think, has taken her time. She's used her experiences to create her work. Um, she decides to publish under the name Tony because of the, the her nickname. Um, as it turns out, the people that she went to college with had a really hard time pronouncing the name Chloe. I don't know why, but wow. this was in an interview that I was reading. Hmm. Um, and so she wound up picking Tony because it was easier to pronounce. So she, that's where, you know, the nickname comes from Anthony, but she picks it in college and then publishes under it, which I think is cool. Mm -hmm. um, then in 1973, so three years later, she publishes Sula, her next novel. Um, and this one is, takes place in Ohio, actually, so harkens back to her upbringing, um, and is nominated for the American Book Award. Four years later, Song of Solomon comes out, and this becomes the first work by an African-American author to be um, a featured selection in the Book of the Month Club since Native Son by Richard Wright. So that's pretty cool. So not only is she breaking continual boundaries and, I guess, shattering the glass ceiling, as it were, but she is also, her work is outstanding. It's getting acclaim. It's getting um, critically reviewed in really positive ways. Um, she's appointed in 1980 to the National Council of the Arts, and then in 1981, Tar Baby is published. And this was one of her works that I'm not familiar with at all. Um, so I, I don't have much to say about that. But that gets published in 81. And then in 87, I think the one that most folks know because it garners her Pulitzer Prize is Beloved. And this is in 1987. And it explores um, love in the context of the supernatural, also featuring women and focusing on the black experience, specifically through the lens of um, slavery. So um, Katie and I both read this book in high school. I think we had very different experiences reading it. It was one where um, I didn't, I, I feel like I, I didn't read it the way I should have. Um, I would like to go back and reread it because I feel like in through studying it and studying all of the stuff that I've done about literature since then, um, have grown a lot more as a scholar and would have a much more intense experience reading it. But I took, I read it as a part of an AP class <laughs> and um, there was a lot of focus on the sort of analysis and synthesis as opposed to really understanding the depth of this material. So that's sort of where my experience I thought was a little bit halted in yeah, that regard. I feel like reading it for fun would be so different than reading it in an educational setting because it's so dense and mm -hmm. confusing and hard to understand. I can't imagine reading it alone and never talking to somebody about it. Mm -hmm. um, now that I've read it once, I mean, of course, I'd understand so much more and I haven't gone back and read it just because it's it changed how I even looked at books anymore. Mm. It was so... It was so hard for me to read mm -hmm. but was so worth it once you understood mm -hmm. what was actually going on 
Um, and luckily, I mean, I had a teacher that, again, he inspired me to become a teacher. So mm-hmm. it was a very, like, euphoric experience for me personally because I was kind of coming alive in my love for literature when I was mm-hmm. a senior in high school. But I could totally see how how it could be taught incorrectly because it's so delicate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or there's... Um... I think so many ways to teach it. And I think, you know, right. any of us could sit down and be like, well, this is how I teach this mm-hmm. book and here's why. Um, and so not that there's maybe like a writer there. I think there are some pretty wrong ways to teach certain things, but um, mm-hmm. just knowing how different those perspectives are. Right. Um, what was the teacher's name that inspired you? Um, Ryan Brown. Shout out Mr. Brown. Brown. Send Hello. him this episode so I he will. knows. He will be thrilled. <laughs> yes. Um, thank you, Mr. Brown. Yeah. You've inspired a wonderful educator who continues <laughs> not only to inspire her students, but inspire other educators like myself as well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that was sweet. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Mr. Brown. <laughs> um, so she publishes um, Beloved, 1987, and then in 1988, it wins the Pulitzer Prize for fiction. Um, ten years later, the book is winds up being turned into a movie which stars Oprah Winfrey, which I think a lot of people are also mm-hmm. familiar with. Um, and then um, the year after, in 1989... Um, Toni Morrison becomes the professor at Princeton University. She works there from 89 to 2006. So she has quite a long tenure there. Um, In 1993, she wins the Nobel Prize for Literature. Um, And this is incredibly significant, not only obviously in her career, but because she is the first African-American to be selected for and then win the award. Um, So like, how extraordinary. that's just incredible Mm -hmm. Um, so not only is she a professor at Princeton she's also the first woman um, to hold an Ivy League chair title if I'm remembering this Mm -hmm. correctly Um, and winning the Nobel Prize so like just in terms of the list of firsts that she Mm -hmm. achieved is remarkable Um, unfortunately in 1993 Morrison's house in Grandview New York burns down and she loses a lot of possessions. And so, again, I was listening to some interviews about that she'd given. And um, one of the, she mentions that she's really kind of only upset by the loss of two things in particular. The first is her children's report cards. She lost wow. those in the fire. And then the second one, and this is a direct quote, quote, And the one thing I'm obsessive about is jade. I had a pot, a jade bush that was about 15 years old and it was huge and beautiful, end quote. And unfortunately that plant was also lost in the fire. Um, So this is something that again is is an experience that shapes her, a lot of her sort of later adult life. Um, In 1994, she publishes Jazz, um, which is again another exploration of love and betrayal but this time set in 20th century Harlem so another look at a very significant place and period in African American history Um, and then one of her proudest contributions that she'd had while she was at Princeton um, was establishing a special workshop that brought writers together with artists like performing artists specifically um, to create original works in theater and other works of art combined with this sort of literary expertise. So I thought that was really extraordinary. Um, And this is started in 1994. Um, In 2005, jumping ahead, um, she receives an honorary doctorate from the University of Oxford. 
Um, and then this was really cool. She gets the opportunity to be a guest curator at the Louvre in Paris. See, like, how does that just what? cross somebody's mind? Like, oh yeah, I'm capable of that. I'm yeah. worthy of that. I deserve, like, what? Insane. Amazing. Right. She's, like, unhuman. Inhuman. She's... Not human. She Right. <laughs> <laughs> She's superhuman. Superhuman. Oh yes, super well, yes, human. yes. That's better. Right. Yes. yes, that's correct. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Okay, that's incredible. She's superhuman. I was actually when I read that, I was really interested, mm-hmm. um, and I think I'm going to go do more research after this episode um, to figure out what kind of things she pulled to wind yeah. up in those exhibits. So I don't know if I can find that anywhere, but I would really like to. Um, so this an, another interesting fact. Um, Morrison wrote a lot of books for children with her young, youngest son, um, Slade. Uh, and then he is a painter and a musician, but he writes these books. Um, and then unfortunately, Slade dies of pancreatic cancer in 2010 at the age of 45. Um, and Morrison is halfway through um, the novel that she's working on called Home. And then after he dies she stops writing for a while, um, but then realizes that her son would want her to keep going. So she finishes home, she dedicates it to Slade, and then it gets published in 2015. Um, Excuse me, 2012. (laughs) She publishes her 11th novel, God Help the Child, in 2015. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Those are the correct dates. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she's continually working and publishing and writing. Um, And then this year, 2019, Um, Tony dies on August 5th in New York City from complications of pneumonia, and she's 88 years old. Um, I wanted to close out her kind of story with uh, a reflection on writing that she gave in an interview. Quote, the writing is, I'm free from pain. It's the place where I live. It's where I have control. It's where nobody tells me what to do. It's where my imagination is fecund, and I really am at my best. Nothing matters more in the world or in my body or anywhere when I'm writing. End quote. So that, um, I think, is, is really a profound and powerful way to view writing as something that is healing, is something that is productive, is something that is creative, is something that really um, Tony owns in her voice and uh is really, I think, something she was born to do. You know, when they say, like, you were born to X, Y, or Z, um, I really I really do think, after kind of looking at her whole life and in these small snippets, that this was what she was born to do, was to yeah. change people's lives through her writing. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. And when she passed, all of the outpour of just love mm-hmm. for not only her but her writing mm-hmm. that we are able to keep it is mm-hmm. incredible because like you said it's so profound mm-hmm. I remember even like Chance the Rapper tweeted mm-hmm. when she died and said like God she taught me the word rememory like she mm. you know she taught me that concept and she came up with concepts that she could explain in writing mm-hmm. that nobody else is able to put into words which is yeah. incredible. So if there is a writer, honestly, you know, f- audience um, that has really had an impact on you, I just want to encourage you to, to go look them up tonight. 
um, or whenever you're listening to this episode, go turn back to that text that you remember or, you know, one that speaks to you. And if you need help, that's what I'm here for. (laughs) So let us know and we we can help you find um, maybe that author that you can connect with in the way that Toni Morrison did with so many of her readers. Yeah. So that's Toni Morrison. Um, And thank you for coming in and for guest hosting and for sharing your insight and your perspectives. Um, As much fun as John is to do this with, because I love doing this with him. (laughs) It's kind of fun to nerd out with another teacher every once in a while about this. So um, Katie will be back for another special dueling episode that we're going to be doing in the future. So that's a teaser for that. Yes. Um, But with that being said... uh, the yeah. outro music. Well, let's hit the outro music. So <laughs> be prepared to enjoy. Thank you for your support and your your listening and your love. Um, and as always, for keeping it lit. Hit it. There's one.